During the coronavirus crisis and lockdown, Rabbi Katz will be delivering an informal pre-Mincha study session on Zoom every day at 6.50 p.m. If you're interested in joining, please send an email to rabbidkatz at gmail.com indicating that you would like to be added to the Zoom meeting, and you'll then be sent the link to access the Zoom learning session. Hi, it's Friday. It's a little bit late, but uh, this is a crazy week, as you all know, um, with the coronavirus running around. Um, and I think everybody knows they're closing down shoals in a lot of places. We had a discussion yesterday about our run about it. Uh, you know, I don't know what's going to be in Baltimore. Not this Shabbos, but, uh, you know, in the future. So as everybody knows, this is going to be a golden season for podcasts because if the doctors have their way and they're not wrong, everybody's going to be grounded. That's how I understand it. I mean, Mama should be grounded. You know, the schools are all closing down. They closed down in Baltimore. And I want you to understand what the medical people say is like this. If my kids, for example, me, if my kids and who are married, if, if, they're, if the schools close down and their kids are home, their kids are not supposed to come over to my house. They're supposed to stay in the house, like grounded, not go and play with others uh, for uh, public health purposes, you know, spreading the disease or not spreading it. It's a crazy period we're about to enter into. As I said before, it's going to be a golden era for people sitting around listening to podcasts and who knows what. Um, I do want to dedicate today uh, to uh, for Foolish Lama, for Herschel Goldman, uh, uh, my relative here in Baltimore, Bethlehem Mason's father, who was uh, hit by a car, believe it or not, you know, uh, slightly yesterday walking out of his parking lot. And uh, he's okay, relatively, but uh, you understand, uh, you know, it's a, we're about to have his 90th birthday party. Hopefully we'll celebrate that soon once this uh, corona business goes away. So uh, I hope, as I say, whatever we say today, we should be exclusive for Foolish Lama. For Tzvi Manchana. And uh, some of the others are asking me about sponsorships. Best thing to do is just send me an email and I'll explain everything online. That's the best way to do it, which is Rabbi Dcats at Gmail. That's my, my name, Rabbi Dcats. It's easy as that if you want to know about the sponsorships. Uh, to, uh, who are going to talk about today? I already did the parasha because it was easier for me to do that. Shush and Purim, I was still half drunk. But uh, the. Yard site, I mean, it's challenging now, but, uh, you know, what I do is I'm given a whole bunch of names, and then it's like a divining route, whichever one I seem to, like, incline to, that's what I do. So it's Yisab B'Shor Shavod is this week, or coming up yesterday, today. Actually, I think, I believe it's the 18th of Adar. Is today date that be four days after Purim? Uh, that's Tuesday, was the 14th. Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, it be 17th, so tomorrow. Uh, 18th of Adar which is just a very interesting day because that's when Stalin dropped dead. You know, that's a, that's a good age in Jewish history because um, he was about to kill the Jews in Russia and all that. And if you think I'm funny, you look in the Megillus Tinus, there is one of the dates that they used to celebrate Megillus Tinus. There'll be no fasting and all that, or as we would say today, no Tachnun, because Herod dropped dead. It's any time a Russia drops dead, it's a, it's a holiday. In which case, Jewish history will be very interesting indeed. Um, but the Yisrael Shosh is a famous... I can't say a rabbi, but he's a famous rabbi who lived in the 18th century, in the 1700s, uh, who I don't think is so well-known at all, because we don't know that much about his uh, biography, but uh, he wrote a book, uh, Yisod B'Shor Shavodah, which hit the charts. And there's a certain type of scholar in Jewish history, is, 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 you know, you don't know much about him, but he got lucky enough that one or two or whatever of his farm uh, uh, skyrocketed, at least for a while, and became a classic, and that's not true of others. Because, for example... 
he lived all of his life in uh, White Russia, in Grodno, uh, those places, which was a branch of Lithuania, shall we say. Uh, most of you don't know what I'm talking about, what they call today Belarus. And Grodno is a place in Belarus, a uh, well-known town, actually. And, uh, and that probably doesn't mean anything to most of you, but uh, he, his rabbi was a famous guy, Arya Lev Epstein. He's so famous you never heard of him. He wrote 23 Farm. I don't think hardly any of them, except among the cognoscenti, you know, uh, I've ever heard of these. That's my point. You can be a big Talmud Chacham. I mean a big Talmud Chacham, and you can even write Svarim. That doesn't mean they take off. The The world of uh, charisma and the world of books is funny. Some books take off and some don't. And, you know, a totally, uh, what shall I say, academic scholar is just interesting to me. You know, it's my business. A totally academic scholar can always make a dissertation or an article and say, you know, it's not really right. This book took off and that book didn't. Really, should be the other way around. And you can make such arguments. Oh, but it doesn't matter. You know, the fact is a fact. In the, it, we just finished Purim. In the world of non-from scholarship, non-from scholarship. So it's well known. You know, there's a million articles that say this. How come the book of Esther took off and the book of Judas didn't take off? There's no Yosher out there. The book of Judas was in the Apocrypha. It's a much firmer book. And God is mentioned in it, and Esther is not. And they all hate Miguel Sester for one reason or another. All the academic scholars, mainly because it's not politically correct, because Esther kills the anti-Semites and rejoices about it. But uh, Judas would be better. So that's, uh, you know, that's in the non-from world. So in the from world, you can always say like this, how come this safer didn't take off? Me, myself, and I, there's certain farm I happen to like that nobody's heard of, and those that are very popular and doesn't turn me on. That's fair, nothing wrong with that. Right? But we're talking about somebody today, Rabbi Alexander Ziskind. What's his name? Alexander Ziskind of Grodno, uh, who lived in the 1700s, something like 1720 to 1793, 1794, something like that. See, his mom was a contemporary to Villagong, and the Villagong was a fan of his. So you can imagine who we're talking about if the Villagong was a fan of his. Matter of fact, his rabbi, Arielay Epstein, wrote a couple of farms. If I remember correctly, the Villagong owned very, very few Haskamas. You can just imagine that, what it takes to reach the uh, approval of the Villagong. And he wrote like two Haskamas for this guy's books. Which are which I'd say are pretty obscure, and then when I heard about the Rebbe, but the student Alexander Ziskin of Grodno wrote this sefer called Yesod Veshorosh Avoda. Uh, I'm sure you've heard of it one or another. I doubt most people have read it, and uh, he also has a famous uh, last will and testament at Savah. And this is one of the strangest svarim out there, but one of the most remarkable. And it's a uh, kedai to read, uh, even today. And what he does, so first of all, he was a pietist. So he was, now, he lived at the time of Hasidism, but he was a friend of the Villagon. So he's a Hasid, but not a Hasid. Get what I'm saying? He's a Hasid, but not of the modern Hasidic movement, although he wasn't a Misnagid, as far as I know, in terms of being, you know, on the Villagon team to fight the Hasidim. I don't think he was like that either. But a lot of, but the, but the notion that a person should be extra pious and uh, especially uh, put a lot of uh, thought into the Tefillah, you hear what I say? The Tefillah, as well as other things in Yiddishkeit, Absolutely characteristic of this book. Yisrael Shabbat is what it sounds like. It's a pietistic safer, which tells you how to go through your day all during the year, especially in the davening. He'll go line by line with the davening with you, and he'll tell you what to think during the davening. And so it can be a guide, if that's what you want to do. It can be a guide to a tefillah. That's what I mean when I say this is a safer everybody should go through at least once. You may find that it turns you on. You may find it turns you off. That's okay. But at least you should know it. it's a, it's a, it's a encyclopedia of scholarship, and he brings the Gemaras and the uh, you know the uh, the tour and the you know those kind of uh, uh, in there and gives you the background. But then he'll say, "I'll just give you an example." 
You're supposed to take everything very, very seriously. The funny part about the book, in my opinion, that's all you get is my opinion is, he's very, very serious constantly over and over again about the need to have simcha in the performance of mitzvah, especially in davening. Now, it's, a, it's almost a, a paradox. If simcha becomes something very serious, I'm about to daven now, and I'm about to say, Hashivenu vinu sarsecha. I have to think, Hashivenu. I was away, and now you bring me back. Avinu, oh, I have to be in great joy that I think of God as Avinu. And l'sarasecha, you know, to your unbelievable Torah. Uh, now, he's not wrong, right? You know, he's not wrong of any of this. But it's a little heavy all the time to say, you know, your, your biggest challenge and your hardest thing to do is feel a simcha and a tremendous simcha. Although, like I said before, he's not wrong. This is the funny part. These are the people who take simcha very seriously. Now, it's true. And it's hard for us today, this is just my opinion, it's hard for us today to live in modern society where we don't see simple, we see as entertainment. We're surrounded, the modern culture throws you constantly uh, amusement and entertainment. The whole internet is that, all the books are that, all the magazines are that, all the articles about that. It's all to entertain you, you know? Uh, we even have from videos now, right? They're going to have from movies, from musicals, everything like that. And I understand why, but I'm just saying entertainment is not the same thing as simple. Uh So... And sometimes you do it in the cheap way, which is through music and all that. You build somebody up a high. You know, people go wild in a, in a concert. And that's a certain way. His way is the old school. In the old school is you have to sit down with no music. And every morning, by davening, or every time you make a bracha, I mean, literally, every time you make a bracha, they say, Shaha kol nia Think about what those words mean. There's nothing wrong with all that, but it becomes very heavy because it's not spontaneous. See, he says, if you keep doing it, you should be spontaneous. You understand? So to my mind, it's just a very interesting paradox. Uh, you know, if I'm walking my kid down the aisle to get married, which I've done, Baruch Hashem, so uh, I'm not thinking like this now, simcha that you're walking your kid down the aisle. Uh, it should be spontaneous. You're happy to do it. This is simcha. By the way, it's a simcha, not a, not a uh, entertainment. Correct? Uh, one, of the, one of the ways of distinguishing the two I could throw, you want to have fun tonight if you're grounded at home, have a discussion at the Shabbos table. What's the difference between simcha and entertainment, between joy and, 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 uh, and uh, amusement? And, uh, you know, that's actually a very heavy uh, topic. Frankly, that's the book of Koel this is all about, right? You know, Shlomo Melch says they had a lot of entertainment. He had male singers, female choirs, this, that, and the other life. Wine, women, and song, the gold, silver, and all the rest of it, but he couldn't find the simcha. You know, so entertainment, yeah, but not the simcha. It's, it's just interesting. But uh, uh, the notion of simcha as something very serious is a, it's a very Litvish kind of business. And uh, it's not exactly the same thing that the, early, that the contemporary Hasidic movement, because he lived the same time as Balchantov. And I think he met, I, they say he met once with the Magad of Mezrich. I'm not sure if that's true or not. Uh, and he knew about the Hasidim. And, you know, he clearly approved of that whole Mahalach but it, it strikes me that the Hasidim actually more into the spontaneous simcha, although totally within the context of Avodah Hashem. The whole notion of the Hasidic community with the Rebbe and, you know, the the, 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 the Hevra and all that is conducive by its very nature to creating that kind of environment. Uh, you know, a real simcha shemitzah. He, as far as I know, did it the old-fashioned way, which is as a loner. And that's really interesting. So if you go through this Sefer, I did many, many years ago. I mean... I think the, the, the book that I bought, I bought these, uh, first of all, my father had it, Sefer Yisrael Shev Shabbat, although I never looked at it, it was the old printing, and I don't know, anybody picked it up, 
and it, and uh, my father died like in 1974, a long time ago. Uh, I picked this up not long after I got married. I see this pr printed in, in uh, 1987. So that was 30 years ago, more. And uh, I think I picked it up in Israel only because I had new kudos. That's all. And uh, I didn't even know what it was. And I started going through it, and it was very interesting, but also a turn-off because it's very heavy. I found it very heavy. And what I ended up doing for about a decade was I would bring it with me to Shulpa Rashayim Kippur. And that became an easy thing to do in Davin Rashayim Kippur because then the atmosphere is very conducive to that. I agreed. Rashayim Kippur is a very serious time. Uh, you want the davening to count extra. Uh, you want more concentration in the davening. And uh, it takes you through all the mitzvahs, you know, the chauffeur and the meal and the guns of business. Same thing for all the holidays, same thing for Shabbos, same thing for weekly davening. He can walk you through the whole year. And I just found it personally that, you know, when I would go to Shul, I would always bring three specific farm with me. And one of them was always Yisrael Shavuot for El, for Hashem Kippur. Uh, interestingly, it takes a lot of energy to, to read through all that. And once I went into the rabbi business, which is about 20, 25 years ago, whatever it was, 22 years ago. So I didn't have time. <laughs> I used to bring it to Shul. But when you're running services, if you're rubbing a Shul, first of all, I'm a Baal Shachris. Second of all, for better or worse. Uh, second of all, I got to make sure that, the, you know, that the, everything's running accordingly. And then, uh, especially, I'm Kimber, people call me Shilas. So the bottom line is, you don't have time to go and do solacistic reading. So I, have, I must say that I put it aside and only look at it once in a while, which is a shame. Maybe after doing this podcast, I'll take a real look at it. I went around the house, and I found my copy, but it's in two volumes, and I can't find the second volume. I looked high and low before I made this podcast. I mean, just now, this morning. And I can't find it, which must mean I used it or something, and I don't know where I put it. Uh, and it's very... The only reason I say this, it was my intention, but it's in Chalik base, and that's the part I don't have, to, when I thought this morning about doing this podcast or last night, to open the part about uh, Adar and Purim, see what he has over there. Because I can tell you right now, he's going to say like this, I mean, really? How simcha did you You and I read Mishnah, you're a little happier, you know? If you got a court case, and we know all that stuff. But he would say, no, there's a halacha of Mar bin Besimcha. Ay Gavald, it's Adar. Rabbi you brought us a month of Adar. I'm so Besimcha. He really felt this way. You understand? And so it's like taking everything very, very, very seriously, which is a heavy job. That means, let me put it this way, if you learn to say for every day, which everybody should at least once, and then you'll see if it works for you. If you learn this safe every day, you're going to, I mean, the davening will be quite a chore. And it'll be a spiritually transformative experience. Same, by the way, same thing with Ashiyatsar. Same thing with Hamotzi. Uh, he takes this stuff very seriously. And by the way, I remember that his contemporary, the Chayyotam, because he died in 1794 and the Chayyotam died in 1820s. He's younger, but the more or less contemporary, Chayyotam was in Vilna, in the middle of a Litvak land, has a piece there somewhere where he has a chapter somewhere in the Chayyotam at the end of the first part, which is talking about general klolim that should inform all the mitzvahs, you know, Eim Avern al mitzvahs, you know, Eim Mitzvahs Chavil Chavilas, and one of them is Hasim Cheshav Mitzvah, that you have to do, so the Chayyotam says more or less these words, you have to do Simcha Mitzvah, and the Rizal says that um, tachas la, the Tochacha comes because you didn't consider the performance of even the smallest mitzvah bigger than the total Hanoah uh, Volam if you feel that way, if, if you don't cons consider every little mitzvah, every little mitzvah, every bracha to be 
bigger simcha for you than the total olam hanor of the olam hazeh in this world, then you you then you're going to suffer. You're going to deserve the tochacha, like we say today, get the coronavirus. You know, you you, you suffer the tochacha. Now it is true in Chumash it does say it doesn't say because you the tocha is going to come because you did and that sort of thing or even Lashonara the words are and this is what the Rizal says and this is what the Chayyonim says I think so means more than anything now let me tell you something theoretically of course he's right there's no question about that but in a practical sense you're going to tell me, now this would take a madrega, right? This is going to take a madrega. That, you know, a vachadika mincha, saying the ashray before the Shemun Esrei, on a Tuesday mincha, is making you more happy than if I told you you just won the Powerball lottery of $500 million. Uh, if you could say that honestly, then, then you get entry into the Yusuf Vishoshavoda Club. Not too many people are like that, if you want to be honest. Anybody can say it, be honest. I, I know a few people like that. Uh, these are the high bars that they raise. Now, when I saw this safer, so like I said before, I found part of it, you know, a turn-on, part of it not so much a turn-on, but very, very interesting. Everybody should at least read it, and he's got a lot from the Zohar there, my goodness. Uh, and it is interesting, historically, that he is at the same time as the Hasidim. So here's a guy coming out of the quote-unquote Litvisha world, I would even say the Litvisha elite, because he's a Talmud Chacham, and there weren't that many in Lithuania at that time, believe it or not. There was a vast amount of Amaratsim out there and illiterates. He complains about that in the book. Uh, but he recognizes that, quote, if I can use this terminology, the Lithvishadirk is too dry. And, uh, you know, and learning in and of itself, by itself, isn't enough. Sort of like the Yisrael Salanter type way. You know, that you need, he wouldn't use the word Musser in the 18th century, but you know what I'm saying. You need to supply it with a spirituality. Uh, now, the Villagon wouldn't necessarily disagree with that. But we don't know enough about the Vilna Gaon, how he precisely integrated the Hasidus, because he was called the Vilna Chassid, into the learning. But you saw Shosh you can certainly see that. And what's interesting is because he's so from, he has these very frank and out, uh, you know ways of talking, and he has a very pronounced, he's like what you call a social justice warrior, in the literary sense. It surprised me many years ago to discover that this guy, Alexander Ziskin of Grodno, who you read the Sefer, he sounds like somebody spent all of his life in base Medish, in Talos and Film 24-7. I mean, I'm serious. And, you know, and, you know, not what they used to call a parish. Parish is in the old country and back long ago. Parish was somebody who, as we would say today, spent all of his life in, in, in all of his life in what we would call today some kind of a kolel uh, situation. And, I mean, seriously, very, you know, intensely. And that's okay, so basically, you renounced Olam Haza. There are some people like that. Not everybody can afford to do it. A lot of these guys live a life of poverty, but they didn't mind it, right, to live a world immersed in Torah Voda. Uh, and so that, basically, my point is, it sounds like what they call a botlin, where somebody doesn't know anything about Havayas de Alma, and uh, he's totally in the world learning, never saw money, it's, that's not part of his world, it's uh, all... You know, uh, learning and, uh, uh, and and Kabbalah and uh, Hasidus and preachers and all the rest of it, which is fine. Nothing wrong with that if you can manage it. I was the, I was surprised to learn, yeah, twenty years ago, he was a rich man. He was a successful businessman. <laughs> he knew what's going on in the world. Meaning, 
he operated quite successfully in the economy of 18th century Poland, where he lived in Lithuania. And notice that a guy wasn't what I just described. So that makes it really interesting, doesn't it? Because if the guy was, uh, like I said before, not from this world, so okay. But he's running the super from stuff, and yet, he was a mil- I don't know if he's a millionaire, but he was quite prosperous. So, as we would say, today, by, by American standards of today, literally today, in 2020, by American standards today, he would be a guy with a million bucks, which ain't that much. I mean, I don't have it, but, you know, there are a lot of people with a lot more than that. But anybody who could pull that off today would be what we would call a successful business person. So he knew how to run a business, he knew how to keep accounts, he knew all the rest of it, and he does have a very orderly mind. He reminds me a little bit of the Chayonim in that regard. You know, he brought the virtues of the businessman's mentality to it. On the other hand, he ain't your typical businessman at all. Uh, my goodness. But, on the other hand, is no baloney. So one of the things he, at the same time that he pushes all this business about super kavon in every word of davening, and he will carry you through every word. You know, think about the fact that God is in the Rekia, and it's the Rekia of O's, and, you know, it really takes everything in there. I mean, Purim, and Hanukkah, and Hanukkah, oh my goodness. Uh, oh boy. Uh, you know, and, and, and you should be, you're, he always used the word hislavus, you know, all the Hasidic type terminology. Uh, at the same time, uh, he says like this, all your davening, all your from cut in the world doesn't matter if you're not honest with your Jewish and your Gaisha customers. You know what I just said? You cheat the Gaim, all the davening take off kaporis. Very interesting. And he, and I'll tell you more than that. He says all your davening and all your Hasidus and preachers doesn't mean anything if you cheat your employees, if you underpay them, or you mess them over, screw them in some way or another, uh, which is a temptation for capitalist employees. Which again, so is it? So this is a social justice warrior, not of the uh, Bernie type, but of the old school Jewish type. Um, he has a couple of things. Uh, I'll tell you another thing. Any town in which um, they don't take care of the poor kids to give them an education. You know what I said? To give them an education. Because in the old country, you send the kids to a, what do they call it, a, a cheder or some kind of other. No, you didn't. It costs money. And so every parent or set of parents that had some kind of an income would send their kids to some kind of cheder or another. If you had more money, this is the way it worked in the old days. It was extreme social and economic stratification. It wasn't good, but that's the way it was. So imagine, I'll use Baltimore terminology or New York terminology and you'll understand what I mean. Suppose I said that instead of one or two day schools that we have here in Baltimore, or two or three, whatever, uh, suppose I said there were 20. And one is, uh, you know, high-end, and the best revam, and uh, the most exclusive education, and the best, uh, uh, you know, buildings, and all the rest of it. And then the second is the secondary, and by the time you get to the bottom, they're junkie rebbies, and it's a lousy education, and, you know, uh, they don't get much time for anything, and you come out with nothing. You know, and you say it's socially stratified. So these guys pay fifty grand a year in um, in tuition, and the other guys at the end pay five thousand a year in tuition. And you get, you know, that you get what you pay for. We wouldn't like it, but in Europe it's even worse because the kids from the poor, poor families, and the yesomim got nothing because uh, no rebbe's going to go and hire them. And, uh, you know, you're not paying them, so everybody's not going to teach. <coughs> Excuse me, you're not going to teach, and so you used to have. In the old country, in Poland, Lithuania, Belarus, I'm sorry, this is a, a, a negative side of the society. Lots of kids who grew up with zero, they were illiterate. And it wasn't their fault. Nobody ever educated them. 
because there was no money in it. And uh, he's screaming about that. And he's saying, you know, I remember he writes like this. You have potential gedolim. You know, you have your, so to speak, walking future Vilna Gaons out there. But it'll never happen because nobody ever bothered to give him an education. So that's really a social justice warrior. Uh, now, he was a rich guy himself, so I can only surmise. He wasn't a hypocrite, so I mean, he, he, you know, he gave his share. But unless it's a society-wide phenomenon, it didn't work. There were many chesronas in the old country. You know, it wasn't all like, you know, you see in some art scroll thing. There were many chesronas. And if you read a safer, like Sosha and also it's famous, he left the last will and testament at Savoir, which has been reprinted many times. Very, very firm. Now, to tell you the truth, as I said before, uh, some of it is a turn-on and some of it is a turn-off to the reader today, if you're honest. I'll just give you one example. Uh, this state of mind. And, you know, I opened up my... Uh, I don't have the savant on me right now, and I don't want to look on the line and all that. I got the time. But I did remember that in uh, uh, Simcha Asaf, my favorite historian, so he copied out... He has a wonderful three, four-volume business called Mikoros Atoldas of Phoenix of Israel, which I always keep near me. And... Uh, uh, he, um, you know, uh, took the trouble because it's a cl- the things that the, the Alexander Ziskin of Grodno wrote, uh, some of them are very classic. And I just want to show you, this is like the Vilna Gong, but it's a big turnoff to you and me today when you read it. I'll tell you exactly what I mean. Uh, this is a, a, a tzavon. It's a, a short uh, piece. It's a short paragraph. But I'll share it with you to give you an idea who this person was. Because uh, I think it gives you a flash of insight. After all, I don't have six hours to explain this at great length. Uh, Bona Yahuva, my children, he's writing a last will and testament. Made Ali Alatsmi, Afshalim Bona Rabim. I can testify now that even though I had many kids, I never kissed one of my children. I never picked them up in the arms and give them a hug. And I never talked to them, right? Like a normal conversation, what he calls a Sikha Batela. For he says, Sir Mishnah it does say in the Perky of us, watch out for Sichas Hayalonim. He took it literally, and he never had a normal conversation, what we call today, how was your day, and all that kind of stuff with any of his children. And I look at the younger generation, it's terrible. Parents are talking to their children and just shooting the bull, and they're educating their children to have Sichas Hayalonim. And I can swear. I did raise my kids from day one to their one-year-old, two years old, very much heavily on the brachas. Everything knows when a kid picked up something deep, he made sure he said a bracha rishona and a bracha achrona. Even before they could speak. So literally, you know, when they were two years old, I don't know how old, you know, when they're just starting, ba ba ba, he taught them to say all the brachas. Therefore, I tell you to do the same thing also. And also, in addition, to teach your kids Rebbe, because you send them to school, that the Rebbe should teach them very heavily on the brachas, and to say every word correctly. Don't rush through it, you know, like we say today, you know, not like that. And I like the fact that there's a Malam in our town who teaches the kid every morning to say, before he does a mitzvah. My goodness, Okay. Now, this is not a uh, how you doing, how was your day type of father. And the Vilna Gaon seems to be in the same type. You know, he's a, it's a famous story. I'm sure many of you have heard it, that the Graal's daughter visited him and she hadn't seen him in many years and he went out and just spoke to her like for a minute and then he said, 
you know, that's enough of Olam Hazeh. Um, I'm glad everybody's okay. Now I got to get back to Olam Haba, you know, to learning. Uh, this is not a good policy in America. At least most of us don't think it is. Most of today, right or wrong, most people say, uh, and I'm pretty strong of this opinion, you got to talk to your kids, you know? You have to have a relationship with your children. It can't just all be only the learning. It can't just be only the mitzvah. What did you do today? Matter of fact, that's a gigantic turnoff. So go figure. Uh, that's not how he saw it long ago. That's what I mean when I say that everybody should read this safer. And I'm serious. And there are, and you, by the way, you could do a lot worse than to organize in your shul. It, it really would be fascinating to organize in your shul like a chevra. I'm serious. I'm not being funny about this. Uh, a chevra to learn every day some of the Yisrael Shor Shavodah. It would be a most interesting experience. Parts you'd like and parts you wouldn't like, but it would open your eyes to a certain aspect of Judaism that I don't think everybody is familiar with. Uh, the, the Jewish religion has many rooms, as they say. And, uh, you know, you got your Ashkenaz, and Sephardim, and Hasidim, and and so on and so forth. You have a lot. This is one of them. And uh, parts of them are certainly will, will jump out and be things that you can incorporate. I think myself that parts of them that you will not be able to incorporate. That, that's what I think. Um, but anyway, here you have somebody that lived, uh, as they say, a most unusual uh, life. Uh, there's a very fam- Now, we don't know that much about him. What is funny is that um, he, uh, how should I put it? Uh, um, I'm sorry. Uh, what, what is funny is that he didn't tell much about himself. And, uh, and we don't know, you know, that much about it. There's a famous thing I looked up online just now that they say, Rav Nachum Charadnikar, you know, the famous uh, tzaddik of later, and who is from Grodno, you know, said, oh my goodness, when the uh, when he said Shalom Aleichem or something like that, the Malachim, uh, you know, were with him. Uh, you know, that's what they say in the town of Grodno. Okay, I mean, let's put it this way. They don't say that about you and me. But uh, he was a very strong individual. And his his uh, descendants, as happened in the 19th century, many of them became not from, and uh, two became actually very famous in the 20th century, but not from. Uh, one is Professor Klosner, if you know who that is, a famous historian of literature, became a f- famous um, professor at Hebrew U uh, in the very beginning of the university in the 1920s and afterwards. He was a big Jabotinsky guy. And he wrote the article, you know, on Yisod uh, Shoshavoda, because he's my great-great-grandfather, you know. And he tells a story there, which became very famous, and that is that uh, when in his last will and testament, Yisod Shoshavoda said they want to be buried in a talus, which is not torn, because usually he cut off part of the talus, one of the tzitzes, uh, from the mace. But he, he held he should be, in, you know, uh, buried with, with, with the regular intact talus. And uh, that's what was in the will. And the local rabbi said, I guess, okay, I'm touching this. You know, it's a little weird, but the guy was at Sadiq Yisodolam, and I'm not messing with this one. So bury him as you wish. And they buried him, and they lowered him into the grave. And as they lowered him into the grave, the talus got caught on a, a nail or a piece of dirt and tore off. So by the time they put him in the grave, it was a regular talus with the piece torn off, which shows you, you know, <laughs> that uh, you can't escape your destiny. You're supposed to follow what everybody else does. That's like a very famous uh, Misa. I don't know if it's true or not, but, uh, you know, Professor Klausner writes it in there. Another uh, descendant of his is the famous Israeli author, Amosos, who I can't stand. 
and uh, you know the Mister, he's he's the guy, uh, one of the great secular uh, atheist writers in Israel today. You can't tell who the descendants are because because uh, his real name is Klozner, uh, who they are. So Yosef Shavuot had a very uh, unusual legacy. I saw a couple years ago somebody translated it, and I actually had it in Shoal, and it's not there. On the way back home from where I was shopping this morning, while I was thinking about this podcast, I stopped in Shoal to see if they have it, and it's gone. I, I'm pretty sure somebody translated Yosef Shavuot, but anybody who's listening to this podcast, most likely you could read it, especially if you read the Manukan one. You can read yourself. You don't need it. Uh, there are a lot of quotes from the Zohar in there, but the new editions have the translations, as they often do in these things. So you don't have to understand the Zohar Aramaic. You can just read it in the, uh, in the, in the regular Hebrew translations. And I'll say it again. Um, there are all kinds of farm out there, obviously. This became a certain type of classic, but it ain't for everybody. And what I mean by that is that, you know, its style is very heavy, very stark, and uh, it's written very uh, intense. Way, at least that's what I found. But everybody should, you know, if, like I said before, if you're the type that's listening to this podcast, we have about 2,000 listeners, you know, so uh, chances are, uh, you know, you'll be, you're the type that will, they'll be interested in at least seeing it, and you might find that it appeals to you, and I can also understand if it doesn't, it doesn't. But Pesach is coming up. Uh, Purim's over. So you can imagine how he's going to go wild on Pesach, you know what I mean? What you're supposed to think when you when you uh, cut the matzah, you know, the, 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 the wheat, and bake the matzah, and you eat the matzah. Oh, my goodness. Can I, I don't have the chalik shani in front of me now, but I can just imagine the Sosho Shavoto on, on, on the Seder. Oh, my. And, uh, and the davening on Pesach and so on and so forth, as well as the rest of the year. I saw someone, I'll just make one last point. I saw someone, by the way, he's very, I remember this, just, just off the top of my head. He has a big deal about when you daven, you should imagine you're a martyr. There's many Sfarim that are written this way, that uh, including Hasidic ones. I, mean, I remember the Nomel Melech has a, a tract on this also. What are they called? The Tetel Cotton. You should always, you know, I don't know, this is strange. You should always, when you're davening, especially in certain places, uh, you should try to imagine they're torturing you to death. Al Kiddush Hashem. Uh, oh my. <laughs> really? Uh, I mean, it's an old concept. That when I'm saying, when I'm saying Shema, when you're saying other davening, uh, Nomel Melch would say, even when you have nothing better to do, you're sitting in the bed at night, we can't sleep. Imagine that they're burning you alive. I mean, literally, or they're slicing, they're rolling you down on a razor, or, you know, come up with your own sick uh, imagination of a torture way, and they'll say like this uh, Do you renounce Hashem? No. And they do this to you, and they renounce Hashem? No. They do that to you. And if you do that, you're a kind in the midst of, of dying a martyr's death. Uh, which, again, is a very not modern way of looking at it today, uh, especially after Hitler. We're not looking to die a martyr's death, although you're in Judaism you're supposed to, but we're looking, as they say, Kedushas Achayim, you know, how, how to enhance the life you have, you know, how to make my kids feel better about Yiddishkeit, not all this intense business. But as I say before, that's a matter of personal inclination. And uh, I'll leave with this uh, notion that, um, you know, if tomorrow's the yard, say, if, if, if this be interesting, I, I would submit to you that it'd be interesting to take a look at this uh, safer. And uh, you can make it a specific for the davening, for the holiday coming up, and you'll see a certain mahalach in Judaism, which once upon a time was very uh, popular, very powerful. And the question is, can you integrate it into your life today? That's a question for everybody to answer on his or her uh, on, on themselves. With that, I have bid you a good Shabbos, and I hope we get past this uh, virus junk. I have to cancel my lectures on Saturday night in Baltimore.
because the doctor told me, and I'm listening to him, because, you know, he have a whole bunch of people in the room, they have a couple hundred people, and, uh, you know, for now, it's a, a no-no with the virus, or spreading the virus. So uh, I'm hoping to record it online somehow and then send it out that way. Um, those who, who follow my uh, lectures, Mosty Shabbos, you know, if you're, uh, if you're online, if you follow this sort of thing, we'll send out information. Uh, me and my team are working this out right now. But uh, anyway, that's the show of what have a good job.